I've pressed the button. I've I've pressed the button as well. <laughs> We've got to have a better sync up, but we just don't. <laughs> we want me to be like lock and load. Let's go. Let's do. Yeah, this. I want like a code. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to a podcast about murder. I'm Freya, and I'm here again with our friend and confidant, Jem, to explore another case today. How are you, Jem? I'm good. How are you? I am all right. <laughs> Pretending that we didn't ask how each other <laughs> Literally just have this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this time, we're looking at another more historical case. We're talking 1884 to 1908. This time, it's a female serial killer who was active in Illinois and Indiana, believed to have 14 or more victims. All three, the first episodes have all been in America at like the turn of the century. Completely unintentional. And the hilarious thing about it was when we were discussing like the episodes that we were going to do this season, I was specifically talking about like variety and <laughs> trying to trying to mix it up and also trying to not do so many American things. And mm. yet it ended up being that that's like half the season. Yeah. <laughs> but the second half will shift to something else. Yes. But uh, but that's just how things. It's just funny up. that that's how it's worked out. Yeah. We are talking about the Norwegian American bell gunness nicknamed hell's bell and that's of course the title that i wanted to use for the episode but couldn't because i'd already had an episode mm-hmm. if you remember called hell's bells which was about the british child murderer mary bell but here we are <laughs> if this conversation hasn't given you an indication as to like our planning capacities of <laughs> <laughs> little processes yeah. that we go through Bell Gunness is actually suspected of upwards of 40 murders, which is quite a lot. Most of these were men, but some of them were her own children. And the interesting thing about Bell is nobody knows what happened to her in the end. Hmm. But we'll get into that a little later. Before we start, this episode will contain talk of violence against children, as I just mentioned. That's our warning for today. Other than, you know, murder, regular <laughs> stuff. <laughs> which, you know... The title's a pretty good indication of what's to come in that regard. I would hope so. But, you know, just in case you've turned <laughs> you've turned the wrong corner and you're in the wrong place, <laughs> turn back now. Belle Gunness was born Brynald Paulsdatter Storseth on November 11th, 1859 in Selbu, Norway. She was the youngest of eight children born to Paul and Berit Storseth. Paul was a stonemason and the family lived on a small farm in, oh, come on, in, in, by, in Bigde. I know I just uh, butchered all of those pronunciations. Uh, and if my Norwegian friend listens to this, which she does, I believe, on occasion, listen to these. <laughs> I was going to say, couldn't you just get her to say it and then dub her in? Oh, my God, that would be hilarious. <laughs> but, um... There you go. I apologize for any poor pronunciation in this episode. But moving on. Belle, then Brynild, dreamed of a life in the United States. Starting work on neighboring farms at 14, it took her until she was 22 to save up enough money to pay for her journey to New York. I feel like that's such a classic story, an image of the time. It's mm-hmm. very romanticized, the Statue of Liberty and so on. Statue of Liberty wasn't even there yet at this time, actually. 
it was a few years later i think but um you know that's such a like classic sort of american dream yeah type thing but it is at that period of time as well where it is literally like you can go there and do anything you could be mm. a new person as bell or Rinald was going through the immigration processes at Castle Garden in Manhattan. She gave the authorities a new name to mark her new life, Belle. And for the rest of this episode, although I'll go back and talk about her at times when she was known as Brinald, I'll still call her Belle so that it's not confusing. So, Belle is for now. <laughs> <laughs> Belle wasn't completely at sea in this new country. Her sister Nellie had already lived in Chicago for a few years, so Belle headed there. She lived with her sister and her sister's husband for a few years. Notably, Belle worked at a butcher's shop during this time, where her role involved, naturally, the cutting and preparation of animal meats. Not a particularly unusual or necessarily dark job in most people's eyes, it's just, it's a job, but when taken in context with what happens later, it always makes for a grim mm. element to the story. In 1884, aged 25 and still based in Chicago, Belle married her first husband, Mad Sorensen. I'm not sure where he was from, but sounds like he was Scandinavian as well. Mm. Um, you know, I'm not sure if he was Norwegian specifically, but... Soon afterwards, strange things began to occur around Belle. Two separate fires claimed both the home they lived in and the business they'd set up, a candy store. Hmm. This business venture had not been very fruitful, so as you can see, there's an obvious motivation mm. there. In the case of each mysterious fire, Belle and her husband collected insurance money, which they used to purchase a new house. Belle apparently gave birth to four children by her first husband in the following years, Caroline, Axel, Myrtle and Lucy. The births were said to fuel gossip among neighbours who didn't believe they'd ever seen Belle looking pregnant. Hmm. Belle's first two children, Caroline and Axel, died as babies. Their deaths, which presented as acute colitis, otherwise known as bowel inflammation, could have been the result of poisoning, but due to the time period that this happened, it's impossible to know that for sure. What is known is that the babies died with large insurance policies having been taken out on them, which Belle collected. Hmm... Yeah, <laughs> not sounding super innocent, but mm. again, no, not conclusive. At this time as well, you know, it's not uncommon for babies to die of illnesses that these days they wouldn't die of. So two, yeah. two babies dying in a normal family, which these days would be like in, well, these days in where we live would be considered very unusual, but mm. back then wasn't really. Well, I guess it's also like... What I found suspicious was the insurance policy, but as you're saying, like, if it's common for children to die, you would It would be very common insure. to insure them, yes. I would think so. The United States Census for the year 1900 recorded Mads and Bell as parents of four, but only two living children, Myrtle and Lucy, obviously. A third seemingly fostered child, Morgan Couch, also known as Jenny Olson, was counted as living with them. And they're still living in Chicago at this point. Well, they're still living in Illinois. I'm okay. not 100 percent sure if they're still living in the Chicago area or not. But she hasn't. She's yes, she's still in Illinois. And this this child who lives with them, it seems like a kind of like an unofficial fostering situation, which might have been, which might have been something that happened quite regularly back when the sort of state system was less developed. 
Mm. Um, they wouldn't really be keeping track of children in the same way when they became sort of orphans and stuff. So a sort of local family might take them in to avoid them being taken into like just a random orphanage and probably treated poorly and stuff like that. So mm. not really sure about the origins of Morgan or Jenny as she's known, but that she lives with them. On July 30th, 1900, Belle's husband Mad suddenly died. According to Belle, Mads had complained of a headache for which she had offered him medicine. He went for a rest and Belle found the body when she checked on him later. Mads' symptoms were said to be consistent with strychnine. Ugh, is that how you say that? Strychnine. Strychnine. I've heard, I think I've heard strychnine, but I don't, I'm not confident in that. Why do I never check? I just (laughs) never check how to say anything. Strychnine. It can be strychnine. Or strychnine in the US. Okay, so it's accurate for me to say strychnine. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to, I don't say, I'm fundamentally against American (laughs) pronunciation. (laughs) But that also explains why I've heard it as an American pronunciation, because I bet it's been on like a a crime show. Oh, yeah. Like CSI kind of thing. Anyway. Mad's symptoms were said to be consistent with strychnine poisoning, which is a pesticide, but his death was ruled as heart failure and not suspicious, and an autopsy was never performed. Hmm. Mads had not one, but two insurance policies on his life. One was due to expire on that day, July 30th, mm. the same day that the other was set to begin. So it was oh. that Bell was able to collect on both the active insurance policies, mm. which was a total of $5,000. Today, according to the inflation calculator I found online for the US dollar, that amount would be close to $150,000. Jesus. So not, not nothing. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, the timing is just too suspicious for this to be a yeah. coincidence. With the money, Belle left this dark chapter of life behind her, as anyone might, and started fresh in the neighbouring state of Indiana. Her remaining two children, Myrtle and Lucy, accompanied her, of course, as did Jenny Olson, her foster child. In Indiana, on the outskirts of LaPorte, Belle used her insurance payout to purchase a pig farm. She became involved with a new man, himself a widower with a young daughter, and a butcher by trade, work that Belle was also familiar with. Peter Gunnis was also a Norwegian immigrant, adding to what the two had in common. They were married in April 1902. Tragedy struck just a week after the wedding, when Peter's baby daughter passed away. At the time of her death by unknown causes, she was alone with her stepmother, Belle. Hmm. So he's also like a very recent widower. Mm, You would think so if this is like, yeah, this child is very young. Hmm. And it wouldn't be long before Belle became a widow once more. That very December 1902, a meat grinder fell from a shelf in the kitchen onto Peter Gunnis' head, killing him. The coroner was suspicious. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And locals were said to be as well, but ultimately the incident went down as an accident. And you guessed it, Peter's life was insured and Belle collected another $3,000 or almost $90,000 today. I had no idea that the insurance system was so well established at this point in time. It was also incredibly easy to defraud because of its like a newness, but also because of like the lack of other administration and like checks Mm. and balances around other things. So like insurance claims and frauding those types of systems was so normal 
in mm. back in this time and like you would just be like I guess I'll just I'll just burn down my shop it didn't do that well <laughs> and then I'll have enough money to put down a down payment on my next business kind of thing like that's mm. quite a common thing I think. Belle was already pregnant by this time with a son and she gave birth to him in May of 1903. He was named Philip. Not everyone was turning a blind eye to what was going on. It's said that Jenny Olsen, the foster child, told school friends exactly what happened to Peter, saying, My mama killed my papa. She hit him with a meat cleaver and he died. Don't tell us all. I'm just thinking, like, if, according to Jenny, he was killed by a meat cleaver in the head, his skull must have been so... Fucked up. Utterly <laughs> deformed for them to not be able to distinguish between, like, a sliced, a slicing wound and just yes. like a meat grinder falling on someone. It's also possible that if you like that a child could have some of the facts wrong. Like she could have yeah. meant hit him with a meat grinder or she could have meant, yeah. meant something else, but I don't know. But that's what she said anyway. Mm. And but you're right. I think I think we can we can maybe surmise that the attack was like of such a nature that the head was in a bad place <laughs> to be like identified what happened to it and perhaps this is Belle's explanation mm. in 1906 Jenny disappeared oh when neighbors inquired as to her whereabouts Belle claimed that Jenny was away attending a school in Los Angeles California that's so far away it's for the time far away it's like she picked the absolute furthest place possible so that it would be impossible to sort of like know whether that was true or not mm. if you're like living in rural indiana <laughs> <laughs> and during this time you're not going to be able to check up on that story in any way mm. like you can't see if jenny's updating her facebook or anything yeah farmhand ray lamphere began working at bell's pig farm in 1907 among his many chores was servicing bell to put it bluntly mm. as he often bragged to locals of this extra duty he was performing and he wasn't the only man hanging around the pig farm bell's revolving door of handsome suitors surprised the local community given that she apparently wasn't considered conventionally attractive mm. bell was described as rugged or as having a somewhat masculine appearance and physicality she stood at least five foot seven, although probably around five foot nine, and weighed around a hundred kilograms or over two hundred pounds. Um, the height isn't like I'm not saying that because you're a tall woman you're necessarily masculine or anything, but I'm just trying to give a an idea of what she looked like. She was strong and tough, used to the manual labour of farm work and butchery. It was claimed that Belle was so physically strong she had been seen to lift a piano that weighed 300 pounds or 136 kilograms by herself. That can't be real. <laughs> I don't think you're like, I don't think we're to imagine her holding it with one hand, like, like bench pressing it. <laughs> or like, you know, twiddling it on the top of her finger like a basketball or something. <laughs> I don't think that's what we're to imagine. But that perhaps she was able to move something of that size herself mm. like you know drag it or something but yeah so she's she's tall she's strong and her face is like she's not considered you know i was i everyone's i think everyone's got beauty to someone mm. and in some way but like the locals were surprised that she had all this male attention because mm. they didn't consider her to be very feminine or very you know dainty and attractive and stuff mm. like that and 
if she wasn't a murderer, I'd be saying like, hey, good for her. (laughs) (laughs) But when meeting with suitors that she attracted to the farm with personal ads placed in nearby cities, Belle showed another side. She had her hair done and wore elegant clothing as she accompanied the men on carriage rides and walks. You might wonder if these men were at least partially interested in Belle's money as she advertised herself as a widow, owner Mm. of a large farm in a good area. But Belle expressly stated in her ads that she was looking for a man with a financial situation on par with hers. And the men that were coming to visit her were willing to give her money to help her pay the loss of her mortgage on the farm. So it's not like it's not like these were just guys who were just turning up. They didn't care mm. necessarily. They just wanted the money. They were actually interested in her so much they were willing to give her like mm. their own money. John Moe of Minnesota was one of these, and he brought over $1,000 as a gift on his trip to meet Belle. He was the first of these suitors known to have disappeared, not long after his arrival. Subsequently, Ole B. Budsberg, Henry Gerholt, Olaf Svenhured, Olaf Lindblom, and Andrew Helgelin all disappeared after visiting Belle, all bearing contributions to her mortgage, mostly in the thousands of dollars. Old Budsberg, he had even mortgaged his own land in Wisconsin in order to get enough money together just to offer her a gift of money. So, you know, she was really ringing these guys out somehow with her, like, charms. She needs to offer classes or something. (laughs) This is impressive. But Belle cleverly identified and exploited the weaknesses of her victims. And these men were all Norwegian immigrants like herself. And as a result of this, they were all very lonely and they were looking for someone who they could relate to. Mm. Some of them were very elderly and they were getting maybe more like they really wanted the companionship. Mm. So because they had immigrated so far and long distance communication was difficult or impossible, many of the men were completely cut off from their friends and family back in Norway and they were very isolated in the US. So they could go missing and nobody would know. Yeah. Yeah. And Belle painted herself as the perfect Norwegian wife to love them and remind them of home. Yeah. She would talk about how she would cook their favorite Norwegian food. They could speak. Obviously, they could speak Norwegian together. They'd have this amazing connection. Mm. And they all fell for her ads, which were all placed in Norwegian language newspapers. And then for her letters, which she wrote, she would write them these like wonderful letters full of love and promises of partnership and everything they were going to do together so yeah it was very very cold calculating kind of behavior to pick up on knowing in in a way from her own experience that these people were going to be very vulnerable and very isolated and therefore easy to for her to exploit Mm. george anderson of missouri came to laporte offering a deal he'd pay the mortgage if bell would marry him He stayed the night in Belle's guest room at the farm, but abruptly left when he woke in the night to see her standing over him, glaring at him in the darkness. Oh my god. He believed he was about to be attacked and got the first train from Laporte back to Missouri. He was the one man who left Belle's farm alive, as far as we know. That is absolutely terrifying. Can you imagine? (laughs) I mean... I mean, I would have done exactly the same, like just get out of there. And the victim names I listed earlier on were just the names we know. It's thought mm. that many more men disappeared after visiting Bell's farm and that they were just never reported because literally no one knew who they were or that they were missing. Mm. 
locals claimed a different man stayed with Belle each week and that she introduced them all as her cousins and after a while each one would disappear. Mm. Those who've studied Belle's case believe this puts her victim count as potentially in the 40s, as I mentioned earlier, although we only know like for sure these sort of 14 ones, Mm. although that count includes the children, I think. Are the children still alive at this point? At this point, she has four living children, yes. They are Lucy, Myrtle, I'm sorry, three. Lucy, Myrtle and Philip. Because Jenny was allegedly sent to California. Yes, she's living it up in California. (laughs) And the oldest of the oldest two children didn't make it out of babyhood. Right. For whatever reason. In January 1908, Andrew Helgelaine who I mentioned earlier at the end of the list, arrived at Belle's farm. He would be the last of her victims. He was a farmer himself from South Dakota and had taken out his entire savings, $2,900, as an offering to Belle. This is where things come to an interesting culmination, and this could get a little bit confusing, so stay with me. But hopefully it's clear. By this time, Belle's farmhand, Ray Lanfear, who, if you remember, was her employee who slept with her, and he had become very attached to Belle. Right. He was becoming increasingly angry and jealous at the endless male visitors to the farm. And once Andrew showed up, it was the last straw for Ray. The relationship between Ray and Belle turned sour and she fired him. Andrew, of course, disappeared. And then Belle deposited a large sum of money into the bank not too long afterward. But this time there was someone paying attention. Andrew's brother, Azel, Azla, Azla became concerned and contacted Belle, who knew who he knew was meant to be meeting Andrew. Belle tried to feign ignorance, saying she thought Andrew had gone back to his home in Chicago, but that maybe he'd gone back to Norway. Andrew's brother didn't buy it. Way too big of a swing. <laughs> he wouldn't give up hope of finding his brother, and his determination threatened to unravel everything Belle had built. So she didn't count on him having someone that cared about him, basically. Mm. Meanwhile, the animosity between Ray and Belle wasn't dampening. Belle visited a local lawyer and told him that Ray's anger at her over the relationship and the firing made her worried that he would seek revenge and perhaps try to kill her. She asked the lawyer to help her make a will. She also Mm. told the sheriff that Ray was trespassing on her property and that he had threatened to burn her house down Mm, she's sowing the seeds of something here right so you're following me that same night bell's house burns down Mm. a farmhand sleeping in a room on the second floor of the house awoke to the smell of smoke and managed to escape running into town to get help but by the time anybody could get there the fire had turned the farmhouse to rubble in the basement the bodies of bell's three children myrtle who was 11 lucy nine and philip five were discovered as well as the body of a woman, which they assumed to be Belle. But strangely, the woman's body had been decapitated. Right. Ray Lamphere, the obvious suspect with a reason to harm Belle, was arrested and charged. Then, Asla Helgelin, brother of Andrew, Belle's final victim, arrived in Laporte to assist police. He'd read about the fire in a newspaper and was still desperate to find out what happened to his brother. He questioned farmhands who had worked for Belle. He wanted to know if there had been any activity around the farm that could have been consistent with the digging of a grave. Hmm. I like this guy. He's really, like, getting into it. He's on it, yeah. In fact, a farmhand told him there had been. Belle would regularly bury what she claimed was just assorted rubbish that she needed to get rid of. 
the farmhand had been asked to help level off the filled-in holes. Mm. On investigating the most recent of these holes, Aslett and the farmhand found the body of Andrew Helgeline. Well, they found his head, his hands and his feet. Right. An investigation began and over the next two days, a total of 11 buried sacks were found to contain, quote, arms hacked from the shoulders down and masses of human bone wrapped in loose flesh that dripped like jelly. Gosh, why did I include oh. this? <laughs> That's Sorry about such that. a visceral description. <laughs> the body of Bell's foster daughter, Jenny Olson, as you may have guessed, was also discovered on the property. Hmm. Newspapers exploded with stories of Bell Gunness, the Indiana Ogress, the Black Widow, Hell's Bell, and even Mistress of the Castle of Death. <laughs> well, that's maybe going a bit far. The <laughs> <laughs> farm became an attraction, even to out-of-state visitors with morbid curiosity. Opportunist vendors sold cake, popcorn, and ice cream at the farm. Oh, now, guys. <laughs> really? <laughs> A so-called Gunness stew was invented. No, I don't That's like some that. Some kind of marketing <laughs> thing. I think that when we talk about the present day, you often hear people sort of talking about how modern world is so like depraved and everyone's so, you know, there's like things are like somehow more like violent or worse now mm. i think people just don't realize just how disgusting humans have always been <laughs> and how like probably worse in the past mm. like people were like sociopathically like you know yeah did not care about like they were just kind of using people's deaths as like opportunities to market products and like you know just cynical stuff mm. and also just so obsessed with like death and violence and gore and gruesome stuff just as we are now like nothing yeah. has really changed um, but I think people think the world today is like somehow more depraved than the world back then and it's I just don't agree with that well, it's all. like on the one hand anyone who has access to internet can like immediately access unlimited quantities of like extremely violent media hmm. on the other hand you used to be able to go and see people get like beheaded in public <laughs> you know what i mean and often when people are talking about like the good old days when you could like leave your door unlocked in the 60s and 70s and i'm like hang on a second wasn't that like the heyday of serial killing <laughs> you know 60s 70s 80s wasn't it like just worse than ever so yeah, yeah i don't necessarily agree with the assessment of that but anyway reports flooded in of countless missing men who had headed to Laporte to answer Bell's newspaper ads though you know most of them couldn't be confirmed conclusively as victims and although they found a lot of remains you know this isn't that kind of time where you can run people through DNA databases and stuff like that mm. rumors grew that Bell had torched the house herself in order to fake her own death and escape with Andrew's brother sniffing around and her relationship with Ray in tatters, she may have thought she was about to be exposed. Shortly before the fire, Bell's bank accounts were apparently drained of most of their contents, and allegedly, Bell purchased kerosene on the way home from the lawyer's office, as well as some toys for her children. Then there was the body. Everyone knew Bell to be this heavy-set woman who was tall and strong, mm. as I mentioned earlier, but the headless body found in the basement seemed much too small and slight. 
A piece of a denture was found in the debris, but although the local dentist testified that this was part of work he'd made for Bell, not everyone was convinced that this was conclusive because it was just part of a piece of dental work. Mm. And, you know, people were just not convinced by that. Yeah. After all, if Belle had faked her death, she could have simply removed her dentures and left them there. Yeah. So, you know, it's not exactly proper evidence. But Ray Lamphere was convicted of the arson, though he was acquitted of murder. Huh. They couldn't conclusively say that he'd murdered anyone, but he, they thought that he, he set the house on fire. She had the forethought to be like, oh, I think he may kill me and burn the farm down. But then was seen purchasing the tools to do that. Like, mm. you know, it doesn't seem like much of a stretch to think that she might have had something to do with this. At first, Ray protested his innocence, but once in prison, the floodgates apparently opened. He told a fellow inmate that Belle would spike her visitor's coffee, strike them over the head and then dismember them. Some remains would be fed to the pigs. Ray would dig holes to bury the bodies, which he referred to as planting. As what? Planting. Oh. It's very, like, grim mm. <laughs> sort of way to talk about it. Though he denied being involved in the fire at the farm, he claimed that the body attributed to Belle was that of a housekeeper, whom Belle had murdered, decapitated, dressed in her own clothes, and pa- placed in the basement with her dentures before absconding. Mm. She would have been fabulously wealthy from the rewards of her crimes and well poised to start a new life. So... You know, it's and at this time, it's not hard. You literally no. just go somewhere else <laughs> and say, hi, my name's like Anne Johnson or whatever. And then mm. it's just like taken as the truth. So he knew the whole time. I was wondering if he was like semi oblivious to. At first, he was saying that he was he had no idea. And when he was in prison, he started admitting it. Mm. In 1931, a woman was arrested for poisoning a man and trying to steal from him. The victim was Norwegian-American, and the female perpetrator, some thought, looked a lot like Belle Gunnis. It was even said she carried a photograph of some children who resembled Belle's. The woman died in jail of tuberculosis as she awaited trial. Hmm. In 2007, almost 100 years after Belle's death, the remains thought to be her body from the house had been exhumed so that DNA could be compared with samples taken from envelopes Bell had licked. God. Which is insane that they That's kept all crazy. the stuff. <laughs> but unfortunately there wasn't enough of a sample, like the envelope sample was just too degraded and too small, mm. so they couldn't really compare it. So it looks as though we'll never know the true fate of Bell Gunners. Mm. It would seem Bell was a person with no record of traumatic childhood or any experiences that might help partially explain her future behaviour in the way that we have for many serial killers. But there is one story that might be meaningful, although nobody can say how true it might be. It's said that when she was 18 years old and still living in Norway, Bell became pregnant. While attending a local dance, a man from a prestigious wealthy family attacked her, kicking her in the abdomen and causing her to have a miscarriage. The motivations for this aren't clear. I would wonder if he fathered the child, since in the story it makes it seem like an accidental pregnancy outside of marriage, which I assume was Mm. frowned upon. But I don't have that information. I'm just kind of embellishing the facts. Well, the so-called facts. (laughs) So I'm I'm presuming a story around this. Mm. She's pregnant. She's only 18 years old. 
she gets attacked by a man. She's not married. Yeah, a man attacks her and causes her to have a miscarriage. Like, Mm. this seems like that. But either way, the police weren't very interested in pursuing the case because of the man's status. Mm. And no charges were brought. It's said that Belle's personality saw a dramatic change after this event and that she was never the same. So the man, he later died of unknown stomach problems thought to be cancer, but who knows if that was her first victim Mm. for revenge killing or if it was a coincidence. But yeah, that's sort of a story that comes up as like a potential traumatic incident Mm. in her life that could have caused her to feel like hatred against like, I guess, men at large or wanting to sort of take revenge, take, Mm. take wealthy men for what they have. Yeah. Things like that. Well, it's interesting because, you know, even if she, as she's preparing to, you know, burn her farm down and kill her children, you said she bought toys for them, right? Mm, Yeah. So it's like, and she, if this, the woman who was later seen and presumed to be her carries their picture around with her. So there is this kind of love and attachment to the children, but at the same time, this like absolutely cold-blooded like murderous side as well that's like yeah it's like it's like she loves them but she's totally willing to use them mm-hmm. in any way that she kind of can and sort of just see them as a victim of like circumstance rather than her own self mm. she loves them to the point where it's convenient because yes. once you're on the run you can't be having three kids tagging along so and up until they start asking questions a la jenny yeah so yeah it does seem that way i do think based on the evidence that was there about the body that was found the fact that it didn't have a head there's just a scrap of a denture yeah was was the housemaid ever found that ray said was like well, I'm going to guess no. Like, so, Because then, like, said, surely that makes it fairly obvious that he's not lying about it. If I think the problem here, though, is that at this time, people are so transient with absolutely yeah. no, like, no, there's no, like, uh, like record said, of anything. administration, yeah. you know, keeping track of people's movements around the world. Mm. At this point, it's quite common in, for people to be farmhands and like just move around Mm. tending different farms to like make money and men live that kind of transient lifestyle and for women it would be the same doing like farm work or like housekeeping or Mm. nannying or whatever it is and they would just kind of move around so keeping track of like I guess lower class people if you Mm. say it like that would be like quite difficult because they were leading that sort of lifestyle so yeah, I feel like the fact that this housekeeper is this is just something that Ray, someone that Ray says lives there. That's true, I guess. So you don't know that that's true, but then. But it's also like what does does he have any reason like to lie at this point? That this person didn't have a head, and the only part of the head was a small yeah. piece of Belle's denture. I mean, that seems like a faked death to me. Yeah. And also with the description of kind of that her physicality was different. Mm. Obviously, it's hard to tell when someone's body burns. It might shrink in some ways. Yeah, but still, but like, this, I assume the skeleton would be like, I this don't know. Bell sounds like a large, you know, like you would, she would leave a large 
large yeah. body behind she would have big bones she's like built that way she's not she's not overweight per se she's mm. large she's tall so you know yeah. her skeleton wouldn't change that much i don't think no i think it totally seems like she faked her death and yeah so i i believe that like she did. everything points in that direction yes. and and i think she i think that it's it's not unreasonable to conclude that she got away with it potentially started trying to start that up again and ended up dying which is like so if you've gone away with it (laughs) just leave it at that that's the thing though i don't think i don't think people that have that kind of thing can so that is the case of bell gunnis a very interesting mystery at the end which i hope everyone found intriguing i don't think we've had a potential faked death on here so far i don't think so so let us know what you think if you think bell or maybe maybe she survived maybe the maybe the other woman was just another another random another woman yeah. who was a poisoner and maybe there was nothing you know there's no evidence necessarily that that was her so maybe she lived out her life you know you never know hmm. don't forget to subscribe and that we are on social media follow us on instagram at a podcast about murder facebook a podcast about murder with no e and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Search channels for a podcast about murder. Please do like and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a fantastic rating, as usual. If you have any suggestions for the show, we're always open to those as well. You can even send us an email. It's a podcast about murder at outlook.com. As always, have a great weekend. <laughs> See you next week. It seems like Bye. a abrupt, <laughs> abrupt ending, but yes, our classic sign-off of mumbling into nothingness. <laughs>